0: I'm Cinder Niemela, and along with Charlotte Gilmano, welcome to the Inspired Wisdom Podcast. I believe the most powerful gifts you can give yourself is time to reflect on your talents and experience, and then have the wisdom to act with confidence and grace. This podcast is for entrepreneurs, leaders, and individuals who want to thrive in work and life. Your journey to being connected and inspired by the world around you starts right now. Beverly Wright is a successful business leader, community advocate, and leadership coach. Beverly held leadership and management roles at IBM for over 30 years. She started at IBM thinking she'd stay for five years at most. However, She had a paradigm shift and saw an opportunity to pivot from doing a job to driving her career choices. Beverly successfully made the transition from an individual contributor to an executive in the marketing and sales function. In the late 90s, she pivoted again and gained expertise in coaching sales teams and executives. Today, Beverly continues to work with leaders. She helps them become more people-centered while achieving professional and personal goals. You'll find Beverly's bio and show notes at inspiredwisdom.us. If you are a high-energy, successful salesperson and you now find yourself leading a sales team, or you're an entrepreneur and want to shape your leadership brand as a team leader, or you're a business owner and you want effective methods for building a high-performance team, you won't want to miss my interview with Beverly Wright. Let's join the interview now as Beverly shares her beginning roles at IBM.
1: My first role was in customer service. When customers would have problems, they would call in and we would actually assign the uh, service people to go out and uh, fix their machines. Oh goodness. (laughs) It was, you know what, and when I look back on that, it was the best place in the world for me to start because we were very interdependent in that department. And so it was one of the best team experiences I've had to this day of just being new and uh, young and really being my first really corporate job Mm -hmm. and and really understanding the power of teams. That was when we had a a foot pedal radio operator. You know, the radio that we used was to dispatch our calls was run by, you know, pressing your foot on the, the foot pedal and being the radio operator was a huge responsibility uh, because you were representing the company and dispatching people to help our customers.
0: When you finished college and were looking for a role, was this something that you had envisioned that you would work for a big company?
1: Not at all. I, I, I share this story quite often with the new hires because eventually I ran the talent management organization, and so I would use my story as a reference point for them that I thought anybody could be successful if they were willing to work hard and to learn because that that was exactly my story. I went to IBM on a fluke. A friend of my sister's applied and was not hired. And she told me that she thought I was the kind of person that they were looking for. I had no idea what that meant. I barely knew what the letters IBM stood for But based on what she said, I just decided I'd give it a try. You know, when you're younger, you're fearless. Yes. So you you just think everything is possible. And so I went to the interview and they told me in advance that they had, they were pretty far along in the interview process for this particular open position and that they thought they had found the candidate they wanted to hire, but they were interested in at least having the interview with me. And I remember that the, um, the first person I interviewed with, and he became my manager eventually, my first manager, Uh, his name was George Parada, and um, they called his nickname was Corky, and so he was so uh, gracious and so inviting when I went for the interview, but at the end of it, he told me, he said, really like you, uh, but like I said in advance, I really think we have found the candidate we're going to hire for this position, but we'd like to keep your resume on file, And the next position, we'd love for you to come back and interview. Well, you know, you've heard that story before and you think, I'll never hear from these people again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But about four months, I can't remember exactly, it was four to six months later, they called me and I was hired the second time. But the first time after he told me that, uh, when I look back on this now, I've made all the mistakes that you aren't supposed to make in an interview. And I told him, I said well, I really appreciate that you're being honest with me, but you're making a huge mistake not hiring me. Oh, my gosh. You told him that? Absolutely. And today, when I even say that now, I'm thinking it's a wonder they ever wanted to see me again at all. But about four or six months later, they called me back to interview again. And I ended up with uh, Corky Parada being my first manager. That is amazing. And it took four to six months to call yeah, you back. Exactly, for the next open position. And, uh, but they did call me back. And, and really, it kind of set the tone for what I came to think of as a really ethical company that was built on, on values, because I learned so much in that first job about the values of the IBM company. It was very family friendly when I first started. I, my daughter was two years old she had some kind of, she started getting sick immediately after I went to work there and we couldn't figure out what it was. I was having to take her to the doctor at least once a month and she was having a strangling cough. So long story short, i had used up all of my, my newfound vacation with this company taking off and all of the jobs I'd ever heard of before, once you used your vacation up, if you had to be out, they docked your pay. Mm -hmm. And so that was what I was fully expecting. And I was so distraught because you were trying to make a good impression in your first, you know, few months with the company. And here I was out of vacation and still needing to take off with my daughter. And when I went to Corky and said, you know, my daughter's sick again. I don't know what, I'm really sorry, but I'm going to have to take off. I will never forget. He said, you know, you're supposed to be with your daughter. You go take care of her. That's the most important thing. We'll figure everything else out. They never, ever docked my pay, ever. That really set the tone, and there were several other points in my career that the values of the IBM company really showed up for me, and that's how I ended up going there and thinking I'd stay five years and staying 38. (laughs) Thinking you're going to stay five. (laughs) I thought I'll learn a few things, you know, build up my resume, and then I'll go, and frankly, Uh, initially I didn't really know after I'd been there for a little while if I was a corporate quote-unquote corporate person. I wasn't sure I was the right fit. And so that's a longer conversation around how I figured out uh, that I needed to change the way I was viewing it and look at it as a career versus a job.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Say a little bit more about that.
1: Well, I um, continued, I worked, started, like I said, in customer service. I moved to what we called the the maintenance repart- department, which was actually where customers had their maintenance agreements with us, and they would call for services that were covered. And it was, uh, I, there were just two of us in the department at the time, and, but we worked really, really well together. And, um, but after a while, I wanted to move somewhere else, and so I applied for a transfer to another department, and for whatever reasons, the transfer never came through. And I really did want to do something different. And so in the meantime, I became pregnant with my second child. And uh, I decided I wanted to take a year off uh, to stay home with my baby for the first year. We got six weeks automatically mm-hmm. on paid leave. But I took a year and six, um, six weeks. And at that time, I really had planned to not come back to IBM. I was going to take the year. And spend time with my baby, but really think about where, where am I supposed to be for my career? What's my next step? And so over the course of that year, I spent a lot of time thinking and, and researching, actually, talking to different people about what they liked about their job. What would they change if they could? You know, how did they choose it? Just lots and lots of questions. And at the end of that time, I figured out that there was really no perfect job, that every job had things that were great about it. And every job had some things that, you know, you could probably do without, but it came as a package. And so when I went back to IBM, uh, I decided that I needed to think differently about the, the job at IBM. I needed to treat it more as a career. So I actually moved back into IBM as a, what they used to call then a secretary. They call them an assistant. I went back as an assistant to get out of the department that I was in before I left. And so my friends used to tease me and say, they thought I really got pregnant just so I could get, since I couldn't get it through a transfer, I got it through taking a year off and going back in a different area. <laughs> but again, I worked for a wonderful leader that uh, I just had a chance to understudy him and his leadership style. And he was wonderful at taking care of his team and you know developing them. And he even, over time became one of my peers and one of my best friends but I went back as his assistant. And that was in the, um, that was actually working directly with customers, setting up our classes for them and those kinds of things. And uh, I just saw a whole different part of IBM and what was possible. IBM didn't really change. I changed my, I reframed it as we would say in in coaching, Mm -hmm. is I reframed the way I was looking at it and everything changed for me. It was almost like my career was in two phases it was the me that just went in because it was a job and it was a well paid job even from the first day and then when i changed the way i looked at it my career just really took off every step really was there as a stepping stone
0: that is such a great story uh and tom peters and so many people talk about self leadership yep and taking you know control of your of your life and and your career. And how old were you at that point?
1: Oh, I was in, I was probably about 24, 25, somewhere around there. Oh my gosh. Wise beyond (laughs) your years. Well, my mother always said I was an old soul. And I do believe that now when I look back is I I really was very, um, I was, it's, it's interesting that you say that because as I look at things that have shaped me over the course of my life and career, I'm sometimes not really sure what I want, but I'm real clear about what I don't want. Mm. So sometimes I back into it. And I remember as a teenager hearing that quote that says, most men live lives of quiet desperation. And I just knew even as a teen that that was not going to be me. I didn't know what the answer was going to be for me, but I knew I was not going to live a life where I felt like I was desperate because I was unhappy. And you know, didn't enjoy my work, because the work for me has always been the driver. It's not the money. Money there is a tool, and I came to understand that differently, but I always knew that it was not about the money. It was about what do I have to get up and go do every day, and am I looking forward to that?
0: Very, very wise. I interviewed somebody the other day who reminded me that he graduated from college in 2009 during the recession. He made the best of it, but he says the same thing. He knew what he didn't want to do. He wasn't sure what he wanted to do. Yeah. (laughs) How did you stay
1: optimistic and look for those opportunities that were just right for you? Well, you know, I would tell you that early in my career, I didn't look. Uh, I did whatever they asked me to do. But here's what I was excited about. I, I am still a continuous learner. I love learning new things and then challenging myself to see if I can become really good at the few things that I really do want to focus on. And so early in my career, I would do really great at whatever job they gave me. I didn't care if other people thought it was menial work or whatever it was, I saw an opportunity for me to learn. I think my work ethic and then just my curiosity about how things worked and how could I make them work better
0: mm-hmm.
1: is what really kept me on the radar where they were really saying, okay, now we want you to go do this, this, and this. And so it was later in my career, probably what some people would even call maybe late in the initial stage of my career, or maybe even early in the mid stage of my career that I decided, and it was really with one of my managers, though, who was pivotal in my uh, career trajectory because she convinced me to go into management. And it wasn't something I'd ever considered, never thought I wanted to do it. It didn't look like fun. When I looked at it from you know from being a uh, individual contributor but she um, actually had me in her office one day and we were having our development conversation and she asked me if I'd ever thought about management and my quick answer was absolutely not (laughs) and so over time she said you know tell me why you wouldn't uh, consider and I said well it really doesn't look like a fun place to be I said from my perspective the people that work for you don't think you do enough for them and the people that you work for, they don't think you get enough out of the people that work for you. Right? <laughs> and I said, so you're kind of caught in the middle and that doesn't look like a fun place to be. <laughs> and so she said to me, she said, I am the perfect person to teach you about management because I made every mistake that you could make. I can teach you all the things not to do. And when I look back over that, I think what a gracious offer. And so she really took about a year of her life and poured into me. We started out meeting weekly and we would meet in her office and everything that went across her desk, she would share it with me and say, here's what I do with this. You know, and, and over time, then she'd start to say, what would you do with this if it hit your desk? I was in administration by that time and she was an administration operations manager. And so for a year... She, you know, then she put me in a pre management training program and she would send me to represent her when she couldn't, you know, make a meeting or she had a conflict. And so, consequently, when she got promoted, she recommended me as her backfield and that was my first management position. And so, it was what we called a battlefield um, promotion because I actually went from being the peer of some of my coworkers to being their uh, manager. Mm -hmm. now you, you know, these are people that know you as a peer and now you are their manager. But she had prepared me. And in fact, in my first job, the regional administration manager, I was in a meeting with him. I had been a manager formally for two weeks. And he said to me, he said, Beth, he said, how long have you been a manager? A couple of years. (laughs) And it was funny to me. And I said, no, actually just two weeks. But he was accustomed to seeing me there representing my manager so he really assumed that i was in a management job already uh family when that was when i'd really only been formally in the job for two weeks and everything changed for me from that point on as far as my career i really enjoyed being a manager i loved developing people that was always the really you know joy for me is i saw potential in every person and took it as not only my privilege to be a manager, but my responsibility that came along with the privilege of being a leader.
0: I've met so many uh, people who've been thrust into a management role or a leadership role without any experience. You know, maybe they've gone to graduate school, but we both know that...
1: That's theory. That's yes,
0: theory. <laughs> it's not application and it's not mentorship. It's not really having the kind of mentorship that you had, which is absolutely wonderful, what uh, were the leadership competencies that IBM thought were the most important for a manager to be successful?
1: Well, you know, I think the biggest theme that I saw and you certainly saw it in new manager school is we had the company values and it was respect for the individual was the big one for, for us at that time. Uh, and when you went to new manager school, the whole week that you were there in Armont, New York, was mostly devoted to the care and feeding of your employees, the nurturing of them is, you know, how does IBM management treat their employees? And that was really the foundation of, you got all the other, you know, policies and procedures. There was a manual for that kind of thing. But when you went to new manager school, from what I remember, there was a lot of conversation about our values and treating people with respect and making sure that as a manager, you were the example. Uh, As an example, you could do something as an individual contributor that was seen as a mistake, and you might just be counseled because of it, but you did that same thing as a manager, you would, at at a very minimum, perhaps lose your management strike because Mm -hmm. you represented the company. Mm -hmm. And so that was very strongly communicated in a lot of different ways. Um, We had a lot of training, you know, ongoing training over and above uh, new manager school. Uh, And IBM, I think at at the time that I was there, they invested a lot in training their employees at every level. At
0: one point, did you uh, manage a sales
1: force? A few areas that I moved through. So I told you, I started in customer service. I moved from customer service really to administration, which was asset management. And then I moved to sales uh, where I was actually, my title then was sales rep, but I went to work in what was a new business for us was our um, inside sales organization. And it was a new, really new for IBM, not something we, we were known for the blue suitors, right? Going to the customer's mm-hmm. office. And it was when the industry was new inside sales, especially a business to business as opposed to business to consumer. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And uh, so we were really building something new and we weren't really sure that customers would like it or not. So we started out hiring contractors. And so they bought me in from being an administration manager. I went off a hundred percent salary to a commission plan that was 70-30. But a lot of the role was building our inside sales organization. So we hired contractors initially. And I was the contact person for the agency we worked with when we first started hiring the salespeople. So I, I was usually the first manager they talked to. And my title really wasn't manager then. It was sales rep, but that was the work that I did. And they wanted someone that had that management experience because when I asked them, when they came and talked to me about the job, Why aren't you talking to somebody already in sales? And they said, well, we think for this job, since it's a new venture for IBM, we really need leadership that's more than just sales. Mm. So that was how I moved from um, administration to sales. And then later I moved from sales to marketing, which was separate uh, from sales. So I was a marketing strategist and a a marketing um, operations manager. And then my last role was in Operations organization when I I ran talent management for three of our locations Dallas, Atlanta, and Toronto.
0: What a career! (laughs) It
1: was was wonderful.
0: What did you learn about sales teams and leading sales teams and sales organizations?
1: Well, I learned a lot of things. One is that in most companies, sales because they're the revenue generator. They are seen as, you know, really important that you, that retention is important, training is important, having managers that know how to get the best out of their team. We talk a lot about high performance teams. I'm not sure that there's one, one or even 50 definitions of what a high performance team looks like, but most people are chasing that in one way or another. How do we get the most out of the people that generate revenue for us and, and work with our customers? And so I found that there were lots of different ways to sell as different as the number of people you had involved, but you looked for uh, people that had some level of confidence and good relationship building skills. And Mm -hmm. that's both with peers and with business partners and certainly with clients. Uh, And so those were the things that that you look for. I I tell the story sometimes about a, a man that we eventually hired. But we were in a steep growth pattern uh, for a long time. As we tried this new, effort, this new uh, approach, our customers loved it. And so we moved from having contract people as our salespeople to having full-time uh, IBMers.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We were growing so fast. We were having class after class after class, back to back, and getting as many people in each class as made sense from an effectiveness standpoint. At the time, I had just Dallas and Atlanta and eventually added, you know, Toronto. But there was a young man that called my, um, my phone. He was, we had posted a job opening, and he called, and I was always busy, rarely sitting in my office where I could answer my, my phone when it rang, and so he would leave me voicemails. What I liked about him, even though I had never met him, is he developed a relationship with my voicemail. And he would leave me the most upbeat notes. But hello, Ms. Wright, I know you're really busy. I'm so sorry to be calling you back again and hate that I missed you, but I know you're doing something really important. My name is, and he'd give me his name, and he'd say, if you have any opportunity to call me back, just whenever you get a chance, I'd really appreciate it. And these calls came on a regular basis. He never seemed frustrated. He never seemed uh, perturbed or impatient. And so one day I happened to be at my office and the phone rang I picked it up and he, it was him and he was shocked, he was like, "Miss Wright. He said, you may not know me, but my name is. And I said, but I know your name, I know who you are. Cause he, I had got, felt like I would gotten to know him. And so we started talking a little bit about um, the job and I told him what the process was. I said, usually we start with two phone interviews and he said, can this count as one of them? Just, you know, didn't miss a beat, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And so we ended up hiring him. He had energy in his voice. Um, that, those are the things, you know, a lot of times now, the way people recruit, you don't get to walk into somebody's office and sit down and present yourself. There's a lot of technology that's used, resume scanning software, all kinds of things. HR staffs have been reduced uh, for recruiters many of them are juggling sometimes up to 100 job posts at the same time. Mm. And so they're looking for ways to differentiate the people that are in the pool to figure out the ones that have the highest probability of being the right fit for the job that they have open. And they use a lot of different ways. The things that I see that sellers don't necessarily do sometimes when they're looking for a job is that they leave you voicemails, they talk too fast, They don't have energy in their voice and not recognizing that that's all the person on the other end has to know you by right now is your voicemail. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't have energy, what they're thinking, okay, you're going to be talking to customers. Sometimes you may be going out and visiting them in person, but more and more customers don't have that kind of time either. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So there's a combination of maybe if you're a field person, field salesperson, there's a combination of meeting them in person, but usually there's a lot of either web or phone interaction that happens before you get to meet the customer in person. So you have to develop those other relationship building skills that let you build a relationship before you can meet with the person. Mm, I love that. He had a relationship with my voicemail. Absolutely. And, And he seemed perfectly content with that. He did not seem you know, upset that, you know, week after week, he wasn't talking to me. And when we actually did connect voice to voice, he made the most of it.
0: That's wonderful. (laughs) What inspired you to go into coaching?
1: My organization was a little different in that my budget didn't come from HR. It came from the sales executives. And I went to a luncheon one day. And as we introduced ourselves, this lady said that she was a coach. Well, it was back before coaching was so well known, business coaching. And so I assumed, like many people, that she was a sports coach. So I said, you know, what sport do you coach? And she said, oh no, I work with ministers. And I was like, what do you mean you work with ministers? So she went on to explain to us. She said, your ministers are always supporting their members. And who do they talk to? And so I just filed that away. I thought that is really interesting. So I found our local coach chapter, ICF chapter, and started going to those meetings. And I talked to my manager at the time and asked her if in our development process, they would pay for me to be trained as a coach. And it was a five minute conversation. She said, I said, you know, I think it may be something that could help us develop our salespeople. And so that was why I got into coaching, but found out I had a passion for it. I loved it. I loved seeing what we were able to do with it in our organization very quickly. We saw the difference and we developed a coaching culture uh, that actually spread beyond our part of the sales division in partnering with 29 other IBMers in different parts of the company and working together as a cohort.
0: I'm Cinder Niemela, and you've been listening to the Inspired Wisdom Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We hope these conversations illuminate your path to your highest potential. For show notes and links to resources mentioned during today's episode, please go to inspiredwisdom.us. You can also follow Inspired Wisdom on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, design a fulfilling and prosperous life that engages your talents and passions.